I want to kind of turn our attention. Last week we talked about what are some of the things we can do that might derail our individual potential. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about what are some of the things that we can do that might cause our potential to bloom, to flourish. And so one of those uh, things that we can do is prayer. Um, and we're going to see the prophet Samuel in prayer today. We'll see the difference uh, that it makes. Um, so again, flip over in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Let me give you just a little bit of background. Samuel is an old man at this point. He's toward the end of his career as a prophet. And uh, he comes before the people of Israel whom he is very endeared to. And he shares with them, hey, look, y'all just asked for a king, and God's not happy about this. He didn't, you don't need a king. You've got God. You don't need somebody to lead the nation. You have somebody. God will do it. But you've asked for this, and so now you got it. And so he wants to share with them almost like a farewell address, some both words of warning as well as some words of blessing. And so that's part of what we're going to read today is these farewell words that Samuel has to share with the people of Israel right on the heels of them having asked for this king, okay? So let's stand together. We'll read from 1 Samuel chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 19 through 24, 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning at verse 19. Here we go. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. You may be seated. All right, I know that was a little bit of lengthy verses, but let's kind of walk through that together. Again, we'll see the request that the people make of uh, Samuel, and then we'll see Samuel's response in this. All right, let's start at verse 19. It says, and all the people said to Samuel, pray. So here's their request. Pray for us. Pray for your servants. Pray for the people of Israel uh, to the Lord that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. So the people recognize, okay, Samuel, you were right. We were wrong to ask for a king. We know we don't need a king. We don't need somebody to rule over us. We don't need somebody to give us taxes. We don't need somebody to send our young men and women off the battle. We don't need somebody to, 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 to take a portion from all of our land. We don't need somebody that we have to answer to. We've got God. He'll lead our nation, but we've done this. We wanted to be like the other nations of the world. We asked for a king, um, and so now here we are. And so they recognize that they've done some wrong here. And so in the face of that, they say, hey, look, Samuel, please pray to us. Please, we know that you're close with the Lord. Please, please pray to the Lord on our behalf. And so Samuel responds, verse 20. He says, and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. Yeah, yeah, you've done this. You've done this evil. You've asked for this king. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Verse 21, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. In other words, I'm so glad that you've come to this place of admitting that something's wrong. I'm glad that you've come to this place where you're confessing that we shouldn't have done. God told us not to do this. We did it anyway. We asked for a king. Now we're in this spot. We have to deal with it. Um, and so I'm so glad that you've done that. But in addition to that, now just go forward and live for God. 
Don't worry about what's in the past. Just go forward and live for God. And so that's what Samuel's essentially saying here. Verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, um, because it has pleased the Lord to make you, you all, the people he's talking to, a people for himself. And so what Samuel's saying here is, look, God has his name on the line. His, his reputation, his renown in the face of the earth is connected to you all, to the people of Israel. And so God's not going to abandon you. God, because you did this egregious thing, because you sinned, God's, God's not going to say, okay, well, I'm done, I've had it, I'm not going to connect with those people anymore. God's not going to do that. God's name is renowned, is connected to the people of Israel, and because of that, God's going to restore you, he's going to raise you back up to a position of strength. Verse 23. And this is the key verse. Moreover, as for me, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord. How might Samuel sin against the Lord? What does he say? He says, by ceasing to pray for you. And I'll instruct you in the good and the right way. Do you see what Samuel just concluded? Samuel just said that for him, it was a sin not to pray. It was a sin for him to neglect prayer. Samuel regarded prayerlessness as sin. You say, Gordon, hold on, time out, wait just a second. That doesn't sound right because I thought sin was something that you, like a transgression. It was something you did that you weren't supposed to do. On this occasion, he's not doing something. So, I mean, how can that be sin? Well, Samuel just reckoned prayerlessness as sin or not praying as sin. And so that's Samuel's position on the issue. That's also representative of the Bible's position on the issue that prayerlessness God regards as sin. And so I'm just going to have to take Samuel and I'm going to have to take the Bible at their word. Fair enough? Okay. All right, well, that's our text for today, kind of short, but uh, you think, oh, we're going to get to lunch early, but no, hang on just a second. We've got some good stuff on the backside here, but that's our text for today, and so that means it's time for us to ask that most important question we ask every week around here, which is, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, that's really great. Samuel had this conversation with the people. They recognized that they didn't need to have some sort of centralized government with uh, all this sorts of stuff and taxation, which is really just legalized theft. And they didn't need to have all that in their life. Sorry, I did that last week. I thought I'd just throw that in there again for your benefit and mine. Um, but in any case, I, I did, we, you know, we didn't need to have that. And so what, what difference does all this make, uh, though, to me? I mean, that was them back then. This is me now. What, what difference does this make to where I'm living today? Well, that's a really great question. Um, James chapter 5 and verse 16 says these words. It comes to us from the King James Version. It says, um, I'm going to give you the second half of it. It says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. The NIV translates it as, has great power. So a person who prays, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power, moves things. You know, Jesus talked about mountains that could move through prayer. It wasn't literally talking about some uh, Mount, I don't know, what's the Mount Everest out there or whatever it might be that's out there that's literally granite's going to move. He's talking about things in our life, things in our society, things in our culture, uh, things that are going on in our family that just seem like there's no way that this can change unless God comes in and intervenes on our behalf. And so Jesus said, hey, look, we can pray and those things can shift and can move. God can cause mountains to move because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails or has great power avails much. So the question for us today is, how do we, like Samuel, pray prayers that have great effect? How do we get into a zone, if you would, 
where our prayers become mountain-moving prayers. And I know we all got mountains in our life. We all got stuff going on in our family, in our workplace, whatever it may be, stuff that we see happening in our world today, that we're like, God, there's no way that this is going to get fixed. There's no way that this is going to be resolved unless you come in and you intervene on our behalf and set it right again. And so what I want to talk about is I want to give you four things that we can do as we look through the Bible, four things that the Bible teaches us about how to pray effectively, how to pray mountain-moving prayers, what we can do on our end to make sure that when we're praying that those things are being heard and responded to by the Lord. Okay, the first thing that I want to share with you, first way to pray effectively is to pray with clean hands and a pure heart, to pray with clean hands and a pure heart. The psalmist David said in Psalm chapter 23 and verse 3, he said, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He's talking there about going into the tabernacle. Who can go into God's presence, right? That's what the tabernacle is. It's where God came, God the Father came, and his presence literally resided inside of that tent in the midst of the people of Israel. And so David's saying, who can walk in there? Who can go into where God is? And well, listen who can. Verse 4, he says, he who has clean hands, and a pure heart. That's who can walk into God's presence. Verse 5, he says, that's the, that's the person who will receive blessing from the Lord. This is why David said in Psalm chapter 66 and verse 18, if I had cherished iniquity of my heart, if I had thought, oh, I just love that sin, it's just so great, he says, look at what would happen. The Lord would not have listened to me. He would not have heard my plea. He would not have heard my cry if I cherished my iniquity. What the Bible is telling us here is that if you and I come to God in prayer and we have known sin in our life and we, are, we refuse to relinquish it, we refuse to confess it. Remember the people of Israel? The reason why Samuel capitulated and said, yes, I'm going to pray for you is because they confessed their sins. They recognized that I got a problem in my life. I got some issues going on here. We asked for a king. We shouldn't have asked for a king right? I got other things happening in my life that shouldn't be going on in my life, and I want to confess those to the Lord. And friends, when we do like David did, David wasn't perfect, right? David had all kinds of flaws. But the thing that separated David's prayers from Saul's prayers, from whoever else's prayers, is because David came to God recognizing, I'm a flawed creature. I have mistakes that I've made. God calls them sin, and he confessed those sins. And because of that, God was willing to hear David's prayers. Claire came to me uh, earlier this week, and she said, Gordon, we got a problem upstairs in the bathroom. So I walked upstairs to the bathroom, and uh, the water wasn't going down the sink. Right? It was just sitting in the sink, and then it would just kind of slowly. You couldn't even see it drain. It wasn't even doing this, the swirly thing. It was just sitting, and then eventually just kind of go away. And so I went downstairs, got my screwdriver, came back upstairs, put the screwdriver down in there, pulled out some hair, right? Because I got three girls, right? And so we pulled some hair out of the drain. Not a whole lot, but just a little bit. Pulled out some hair, and sure enough, turned the water back on, and the water just flowed right down through that pipe. And see, that's what God's saying here with this scripture. He's saying that, look, we've got stuff in the pipe that won't allow our prayers to just flow on through to where God is. God won't hear that stuff because we've got gunk in the way, and so he's inviting us here to pray with pure hands and a clean heart that is, to admit that we got sin in our life, to confess that sin to God so that our prayers can flow smoothly and cleanly through the pipes onto God. All right, number two, second principle for praying effectively. First is to pray with a clean hands and a pure heart. Second is to pray with a forgiving spirit. To pray with a forgiving spirit. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us that when we pray, we should pray to God this way. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Friends, one of the most common hindrances to effective prayer is unforgiveness. If you and I want to see the power of God unlocked in our prayer life, then we must come to God with a heart that is free of bitterness, with a heart that is free of malice, with a heart that is free of hatred toward our fellow man. God has a zero-tolerance policy, friends, when it comes to unforgiveness in our life. You say, but Gordon, I got some people that I need to forgive. I just don't see how I can do it. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to be able to let that go, to place that in God's hands. Well, friends, what we need to do in a situation like that is we need to say, God, I don't have the strength. God, I don't have the ability. God, it's not in me to be able to forgive this person. I want to just, you know, I want to do that. Um, But so, God, you give me through the power of your Holy Spirit, because, God, you're omnipotent. You can you can overcome anything I got going on in my heart or in my life. And so, God, you come and you give me the strength. You give me the power to do what is your will. Right? It's God's will that we forgive. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so God will do that, friends, but we got to ask him. Number three, if you want to pray effectively, then we need to pray in faith, believing that God can and God will do what it is that we're asking. Pray in faith that God can and will do what it is that we're asking. Jesus said, Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, There I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I love what Matthew 13 says about the city of Nazareth. Jesus had been there. He'd been ministering amongst the people. It says, verse 58, And Jesus did not do many mighty works there in Nazareth. Why? Because of their unbelief. Jesus could have done miracles in Nazareth, He could have prayed and the sick would have been healed. He could have, right? Did it everywhere else. But he didn't do it in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Friends, when we come to God asking, we have to believe. We have to know in our heart that God can do this and believe that God will do this. Anything less is an affront to the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God. You say, but Gordon, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought the Bible told us that we're supposed to pray within the will of God. That is, we're only supposed to be praying stuff that is God's will. If it's not God's will to do it, then I shouldn't be praying for it to be done. You're right. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward God in prayer, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we should pray according to God's will. We should figure out what it is that God wants and then pray within that. However, that doesn't stop us from asking for the moon. Because I don't know yet what God's will is. And until he tells me, I'm going to keep asking for the moon. Make sense? And so you do the same. Praying in faith, friends, means that we ask God with utter confidence that there is no human obstacle in the world that he cannot overcome. And so our posture in prayer needs to be that the only person who limits what God might do in response to our prayer is not us for not praying it, but rather God for deciding that he's not ready to do it yet. So let us not limit what God can do by not be willing to ask or by putting him, let, saying, well, you know, God, that just seems a little bit too much for you to be able to do. So I'm going to let you off the hook because I don't want to see you fail. That's typically what we end up doing with our prayers. We don't want to set God up for failure because we're not sure that he has the power to do what we're asking him to do. Friends, don't limit God by what you pray. Ask 
for the moon. And until he tells you to stop asking for the moon, friends, and you just keep asking, okay? Because he can and he will do, he said, what you ask. Verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 4, number 4. <laughs> Finally, if we want to pray effectively, then we need to pray with God's glory as our motive. Jesus said, John chapter 14 and verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And why will he do it? So that the Father may be glorified through the Son. So that the Father may be glorified. Why is Jesus going to answer your prayer? Why is Jesus going to do what you're asking him to do? So that the Father may be glorified. Friends, the point of your praying is not to fix your stuff. I need my stuff fixed. <laughs> and God cares about your stuff. But the point of your praying is so that God may be glorified. I love the story of Elijah in the Old Testament. He's in this contest with the prophets of Baal. They're up on Mount Carmel. Um, Jezebel, the queen of Israel, uh, the wife of Ahab, has her 400 prophets. They're up there on top of Mount Carmel. They're praying all day long. They're calling down fire for, from heaven. They're hoping that the sacrifices that they've set up are going to be consumed by fire, and nothing happens. Right? Then it's Elijah's turn. Elijah goes up there. He puts the sacrifice in place. He pours water all over the place, soaks it all down, so it's going to be more tough for this fire to be able to consume these sacrifices. And then look at what he prays. He prays first. Kings chapter 18 and verse 36. He says, oh, so he gets done making everything. Then he says, oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day. Why does he want God to answer his prayer? Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Does that sound like a prayer that's for Elijah's comfort? That has as its centerpiece Elijah's uh, um, his comfort and his ease. Friends, Elijah prayed a prayer not because he wanted something, not so that he would be successful and great, but so that God would be seen as great. And then he prays, verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, answer me. Why are you going to answer me? So that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. Friends, that is a prayer that has God's glory, God's name, God's renown, God's reverence at its heart. That's why he wanted God to answer his prayer. And friends, we need to be able to ask God for things. God wants us to bring our stuff to him. He said, hey, pray this day that you'll give me my daily bread. Jesus invited us to pray that. But the purpose of prayer, friends, is not our ease and our comfort. It's so that God would be magnified. It's so that God would be given glory. And so when God answers our prayer for a new job, or when God answers our prayer for additional income or for physical healing, friends, we want it to be something that our people that know us look at us and say, look at what a great God she has. Look at what a magnificent, almighty, merciful God he serves. That God gets the glory for the answer to our prayers. The Bible teaches us that we must decrease so that he can increase. So my advice to you is to ask yourself when you pray, why am I asking for this? Am I asking it for my own ease and my own comfort? Or is the uppermost desire of my heart that God would be glorified? that people would see God as great and mighty through his answering of my prayers. All right, let's sum up what we've learned today. 
We've learned, number one, that we need to pray with clean hands and a pure heart. Got to get the stuff out of the pipe so that the prayers can flow freely through. Number two, we learned that we need to pray with a forgiving spirit toward other people. It is God's will, friends, that we forgive. And number three, we learned that we need to pray in faith, expecting God to answer our prayers. Never limit God by hesitating to ask for things. He's the mountain mover. And finally, number four, we need to pray with God's glory and God's fame as our uppermost motive, not our creature comforts. All right, I got one final question that I just want to address here this morning, and that is what difference does all this make to our church, right? We talk about you know, this series, that's one of the questions that I want to ask and answer every week, is what, what difference does this make to our church? I mean, I see how, what difference it makes to me individually in my own life, but what difference does this make to us collectively as the people of God? You know, it would be very foolish for me to stand up here and say that I know what God's will is, that I know that God wants to do this, or that God's, his design or his desire, the next thing that he wants us to pursue is this. I've come to the conclusion after years of ministry that if God wants something done, if God wants us to take some action or to take some initiative, that he can just as well speak to you as well as he can speak to me. Right? I believe that. I believe that God can make it as clear to you as he makes it to me. And so here's my invitation to us. My responsibility as your pastor is to bring you to a place where you, as the people of God, that we together are listening to God's voice. To bring us to a place where we come together collectively on our knees, if you would, metaphorically speaking, literally speaking, and we're pursuing and asking God for his leadership, asking God for his vision, asking God for what's next for our church, asking God for what he wants us to be involved with, how he wants to use us. God, give us that vision clearly to all of us. Let it be known, Lord. And so here's my invitation to you, is that next Sunday evening, we're going to have the sanctuary open here from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And I'm inviting you to come out for an evening of prayer. There won't be anybody up here on the stage leading in prayer. There won't be anybody up here on stage leading in song. It's a come and go. You can come and sit in the sanctuary for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. You can spend an hour, however long you want to spend. The lights will be dim. It'll just be a place of quiet where you can come and seek God's voice for our church. Friends, my anticipation, my hope, is that God gives some deliverance for some of those mountains that you've been waiting to be moved in your own life. And that God hears our prayers collectively as a church. That God begins to move and shift and some seismic things start to take place in your workplace. As a result of us coming faithfully to God in prayer. That some things begin to shift and move in how we perceive ourselves and what God wants to do through our church and our community. I mean, we got houses popping up all over the place around here, right? People that need a church, people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I heard somebody share a statistic this past Friday that said that 35% of people who live in Oconee County, just in Oconee County, attend church on Sunday morning. 35%. Friends, that's a big old harvest out there. There's a lot of people that need to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. So my invitation to you is to take a little bit of time out of your evening next Sunday to come here to the church between 6 and 8 o'clock, sit in the sanctuary, and seek God's voice for our church. My role is to bring you to a place where you're listening to God's voice and let him speak. Right. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for speaking to us, for reminding us that there is great potential in this place. 
There is so much, Lord, that you want to accomplish in and through our lives. There are people whose eternity needs to be turned on a dime. It's heading toward a train wreck right now. I don't even know it. But Lord, through the ministry of this church, through the ministry of these people, God, that that can all change. Lord, we ask that uh, as we come to this time of quiet reflection, that your Holy Spirit would begin to just pick at our heart, begin to bubble up in us, Lord, cause that potential to bloom, begin to have that vision grow with inside of us. of What you want us to be doing in our own lives, individually, as well as as a church. Lord, we are here. We want to hear from you. Speak to us, we pray, in these quiet moments this morning. In Christ's name, amen.